podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the TMBA pod. Of course, this is where we believe growing a location independent business is one of the best ways to create more personal freedom and flexibility in your life. And we are going to talk about financial freedom here today. Speaking of freedom, I'm on a bit of a road trip. I had to pull over to commandeer a studio to put this show out to y'all. Wherever you are in the world today, I hope you get something out of today's episode. Today is another installment in our series of the rereadables. Of course, the rereadables is where we choose a book that was published some time ago and revisit it to see if it stood the test of time. We'll also judge it using a variety of categories like what's aged the best and best quote, etc. Now, if you haven't read the book, we will summarize the core ideas in the book. So whether you've never picked up today's title or whether you're a huge fan, you should be able to get something valuable for your business out of today's episode. So this week's book is Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which first appeared on the scene a few decades ago. It was actually suggested by today's guest who is going to help me appraise it. So Kyla Gardner is a regular here on the TMBA pod. She's the author of the forthcoming novel called Guru and one of my favorite writers online. So do check out her site over at kylagardner.com. For those of you who haven't read the book, here's a quick TLDR, too long, didn't read summary. Basically, if you want to be rich, and again, this book is about becoming wealthy, you got to ditch that middle-class script that so many of us have been brought up in. You know the one, like pay attention in school, get good grades, get a good job, and everything's going to work out for you. Today's author says you got to ditch that mindset and educate yourself in something he calls financial intelligence, a skill set that is central to the process of building wealth and one that is sadly not taught in schools. So if that resonates with you or you strongly disagree or you're just curious what we have to say about all this wealth stuff, stick around. So this book is controversial for many reasons, which we'll get into the show, but perhaps primarily because it's somewhat hazy and opaque as to whether Robert Kiyosaki achieved his own riches by practicing what he preached in terms of successful real-life deals, or whether he's actually made most of his money from relentlessly monetizing this particular book, which is quite a phenomenon. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is now an industry with seminars and board games and all kinds of schemes and, and much more. But it really, honestly, for me, doesn't take away from the core message of this book, which resonated with me deeply. And even, I can honestly say on this reread, really inspired me to build my own financial intelligence further. So I hope it can do the same for you. I've read the book a few times now, and my reaction on the most recent reread was pretty surprising to me. But let's hear Kyla's take before we get to all that. So I think my first impression was that it was a lot more boilerplate self-help stuff than I remembered. 
I read this book maybe like two or three years ago. And at that time, I was reading so much nonfiction, self-help business books. It didn't really make any sort of impression on me. And I think it's it kind of got lost. It's all about mindset. Don't be controlled by your emotions. Change your mindset. You can't be afraid. So I think a lot of the things that are good advice in it are kind of your standard self-help script. <laughs> wow. See, I'm coming at this. When I first read this book way back in the day, I think I liked it, but I wrote it off a little bit as, you know, this is like pre-four-hour work week. We don't talk about the internet enough in this book and good ideas, but not for me. And I read this book this time and I was just like, man, this guy just came from the top rope on the first chapter and just makes this argument like, look, if you want to get rich, this is how you got to do it. And he does it by this wonderful parable device of you know, having one rich dad and one poor dad and comparing and contrasting the advice that they were giving him. And while he's doing this, he's making these really judgmental, opinionated critiques of middle-class life. But the middle class is on the ropes in this book. I get why this book is such a phenomenon. I get why we're still talking about this book in 2019. That was my main takeaway is like, this book deserves its place in the cultural pantheon, at least of the entrepreneurial cultural pantheon. One thing that I thought was missing was most books like this start out with that chapter that's like, here's why you want to read my book. Like, I'm going to convince you why what I'm about to say is important. And he just starts. He doesn't care. He's like, I'm just going to insult you throughout the book. And that's my reason <laughs> for you listening to me. <laughs> this book has without question led to so many awkward dinner table conversations. So let's just have one of those ourselves. First, I want to give a little bit of background. We're going to call this half-assed internet research just to lay out the background of the book. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is allegedly one of the best-selling financial books in history, selling over 35 million copies. It has over a quarter million reviews on Goodreads with an average of a 4 0.02 rating, and it is clearly one of the most influential self-help books of the last few decades. The basic gist of the book is this. Growing up, the author had two, quote, dads advising him. One was his biological father, who was a Stanford-educated PhD, who followed a traditional career. He was risk-averse and generally bad with money. His second dad was the father of his best friend, who was a high school dropout who later built an empire worth millions and employing hundreds. These two dads represent really a parable of two different approaches to generating wealth in your life. One is to get a secure job and retire with a pension. And two is to amass assets that make money for you and allow you to, of course, screw the rat race. The promise of the book is that you can get yourself in a position where you no longer have to work for money that money works for you, that you are financially literate, and that you have complete financial freedom and flexibility. And the way the book suggests that you do this is by following the six lessons that rich people know about that those in the poor and middle classes do not know about. Those six lessons are the rich don't work for money, the importance of financial literacy, 
specifically knowing what a real asset is. Hint, your home is not an asset, according to Robert Kiyosaki, one of the most talked about points in this book. So he takes aim at like the heart, Kyla, of the middle class life. He's like, your home is a shitty investment, basically, <laughs> versus a liability. Point number three is to mind your own business. We'll talk about how that can work for entrepreneurs and employees alike. Number four is the power of corporations. The next is the rich know how to invent money. Finally, the rich work to learn, not to earn. Kyla, is there anything about these six lessons or the background of the book that you want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into? I think I found some fun stuff with my internet research that the identity of Rich Dad was very controversial because for many years he wouldn't divulge whether or not it was even a real person. And people were saying, this should be a fiction book. This didn't actually happen. This person doesn't exist. But in 2009, the guy passed away and he had a confidentiality agreement with his family. So then he was able to finally say this was the guy. So there actually was a rich dad in Hawaii who was like, who owned a bunch of hotels. <laughs> so this book also launched Robert Kiyosaki's financial guru career. He has since written like almost 30 more books and there are rich dad seminars all over, which have also become quite controversial. So this was like the linchpin of his guruship. This is how most people find out about the book now the other way around, which is going to these coffee shop meetups where people play board games like Cashflow Quadrant. People go to rallies and seminars and MLM things and all kinds of unsavory, like the worst of the worst kind of business opportunity stuff. Rich Dad, Poor Dad was really, as far as my half-assed internet research has shown me, the only real sustaining business legacy that Robert Kiyosaki has really ever created. I mean, the, the real estate stuff is a little bit in question. The product stuff that he was involved in, it went bankrupt. So it's not clear really what his financial position was going into the writing of this book. And it is one of the major critiques that people levy against, you know, how do you really get rich? Well, you write a book about getting rich, which is a very common tactic. That said, these six lessons, Kyla, many of them very much resonated with me. One is the point of minding your own business, which is really a point about understanding the importance of financial literacy as a skill set. I mean, it includes many things that are not only mindset, but that are technical. And that if you don't understand them, first off, you will never be taught them in institutions. Denis bemoans the idea that we're not teaching people how to deal with money. Instead, we're teaching people how to be essentially corporate slaves. That's kind of the thesis of the book. And even if you have a job, Kiyosaki suggests that that's okay. I had a job too. And he talks about how he learned from it and how he saved up from it. But he was always on the side, minding his own business, treating his finances as a business, constantly knowing that learning financial literacy was one of the most important skill sets that he could learn in his lifetime. And personally, I found this super, super compelling stuff. Yeah. No one else is going to be responsible for it but you. He talks about poor dad saying, oh, the government's going to take care of me and my pension. He's really a proponent of you have to take responsibility for your finances and your life and your work. 
Do you want to do a role play? Let's take the character of rich dad and poor dad and argue back and forth with each other <laughs> about some basic issues in life. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be rich dad or poor dad? I'll be poor dad. Oh, that's easier. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say on the importance of a good job. Poor dad would say, get a good job and then keep trying to learn more skills in your job. Become more narrowly focused. Become an expert at one thing. Rich dad would say specialization creates a fragile career. They'll rope you along with small incremental raises year over year over year until eventually you'll find yourself not only not wealthy, but out of a job, essentially, once things change. Whereas Rich Dad really encourages the boys. There's two boy characters in this book, both Robert and his best friend. If they want to become wealthy, he suggests that they should become great at financial literacy, essentially investing. I mean, that's kind of the punchline here. And all the different forms that that takes, investing your time, investing your brain power. But ultimately, if you really highly identify with being a specialist in a certain area, Rich Dad believes that this is a really fragile position to be in that will ultimately leave you dependent on a company. Okay, so let's jump into the first of the categories we're going to use to judge and assess Robert Kiyosaki's book. What's aged the best? In Rich Dad, Poor Dad, we are going to list the candidates and then we are going to vote at the end what we think is aged the best. For me, what's aged the best is the opening of this book. It is a slam dunk, like the middle class sucks, do not be a part of them. Join me as part of the wealthy class. That opinionated approach and specifically the way he uses the story of the two nine-year-old boys and how they got to know Rich Dad, how they stopped playing baseball on the weekends and started working, stocking shelves at Rich Dad's business for super, super cheap. And he's really trying to teach them the difference between working for money and having money work for you. So he pays them shit. And it, it transpires that you know the boys get really pissed. And it's very emotional. And you can relate to it because we've all been in a position where we feel like we're being treated unfairly. And it was easy for me to relate to these little boys, although they were speaking a little bit too intelligently for the nine-year-olds that I know. Yeah. But anyway, for me, Kyla, that was just so effective to see this like opening period of an apprenticeship between these young boys working for no money to feel their emotions, trying to cope with this idea of wanting to do all the sorts of things that we do when we're employed. We seek fairness. We seek justice. We complain when we're not treated well. We point the finger. And it's all this really, really basic stuff, but it it showed how big of a deal this mindset is and how sort of crossing the Rubicon from employee mindset to entrepreneur or investor or business owner mindset can be quite an enormous one. Yeah, I agree with that. He says in the book he's not a very good writer, which may be somewhat true, but he is a good, I think, storyteller, but he puts that story in there and has us identify with the nine-year-old him and really get us in that mindset. So that's something that a lot of business books don't have. Absolutely. The second thing that I feel aged the best was its strong philosophical core. On the one hand, 
he's sort of a fast and loose kind of tossing out names and tossing out deals throughout the book, giving examples. But when he's really laying out his philosophy, it's very hard for me to take issue with him that he indeed has an insight into what it truly takes to create wealth. Yeah, I think being three years away from first reading this book, my ideas of him are more influenced now by the articles I see or the news that comes out about him. And when you go back to this book, I was surprised, like, oh, this is not as scammy, I guess, as <laughs> as you would expect. Like, it, it did have good philosophical bones. Well, people hate this book. Some people do. And I, I think that that says a lot about it. I mean, it really does cut to the core of why some people are rich and why some people are poor. And yeah, I mean, he doesn't talk about societal forces and stuff. He has this kind of sense of personal responsibility. And look, we're not talking about society as a whole. We're talking about you and your quest to get rich. And if we're talking about you, then you have to you know, make these changes. It's really tough to argue with them. Now, you can say, well, I don't want to become rich, or I don't think that's a priority, or other things are more important. And I think he would concede all those things. You say, but this isn't a book for people that are looking to live the good life. This is a book for people that are looking to get rich. Right. It's not like fulfilled dad, unfulfilled dad. (laughs) (laughs) One of the other things that I didn't know whether to put in my age the best or age the worst. It's a little bit of both for me, so I'll toss it into the best, which is when you get to the end of this book, you feel that it's all still ahead of you. Although he's laid out some parameters and sort of a space for you to operate in as this future wealthy person, he doesn't really tell you how to do it. Part of me was like, come on, I need some actionables here, Robert. That is a virtue in the book as well, which is he does say how enormous this on-taking is, although he doesn't stress it. And he sort of says, look, you have to proceed more or less on your own with these tools and with this framework, and it's going to take you a long time. And I ultimately walked away thinking, I'll take that as a personal challenge that my own personal financial literacy is not up to Robert Kiyosaki. It's ultimately up to me and whether or not I buy into that concept. Yeah, I feel sometimes he can't decide between being super philosophical, but also I have all the answers. Here's my next multi-million dollar seminar business. Like he's like, it's so hard to do this and it takes years, but also it's pretty easy. So it's like, which is it, Robert? Is it really hard or do you have like a get rich quick scheme? Do you have any more candidates for what's age the best? Yeah. So what I thought aged the best was that he says you can't trust the system. Like this idea of studying hard in school and getting a good job is not going to cut it anymore. And I think that's even more true now than it was when he wrote this book in the late 90s. Just seeing so many of my peers graduate from college into the 2008 recession, and there were no jobs that required college degrees. There weren't a lot of jobs in general. They had, you know, $20,000 to $100,000 of student debt that they're still just chipping away at the interest. So, yeah, I think that dream has definitely died in the 20 years since he wrote this book. And a related idea I thought that aged the best was his ideas on self-education, that he really recommends self-study. And he says, if there's something you want to learn about, there's so much information out there, just 
go and do it. And that's even more true now with the internet, obviously. You can learn about literally anything you want. I wonder, like, has the fact that the internet doesn't come up in this book aged well or aged poorly? And part of me wants to say both. There's a lot of things that it's like, it's kind of good that he doesn't get caught up in the nuance because like, he uses real estate as an example for most of his kind of investing opportunities and things. But real estate kind of is cool because it's almost like he's talking about monopoly a little bit. It's like, it's just, we could say gold, you could say internet businesses, you could say anything. He never really gets into the nuances enough for it to matter. So I don't think that really mattered. He says a lot of things like, you know, develop a bunch of rich friends and hang out with them because that's where business gets done. I can't argue with that. Like, it's one of these kind of points that he makes in this book that it's like, it's a good point, but it's also going to piss people off because not everybody has rich friends, blah, blah, blah. You can hear all the moaners in the background saying, oh, this is for rich people. You're hanging out with rich. But I think he's right. You know, if you want to cut deals with rich people and hear about stuff before it hits market, you might want to hang out with some movers and shakers. And if you're not a mover and shaker yet, maybe you should aim that direction. Yeah. All right. So what are you going to vote on? We've got the opening of the book, The Boy's Parable, The Strong Philosophical Core, the emphasis on self-education. And what was your first point? That you can't trust the system. Oh, that's got to be it. You can't trust the system. (laughs) (laughs) This week's show is sponsored by, wait for it, the Dynamite Circle or the DC. Yes, often mentioned on the show, but rarely explained. So give me a minute to walk through some of the highlights. The DC has been around for over eight years and is a private community for established entrepreneurs. There is an application process. It's not super intimidating, but we want to get entrepreneurs in there that are the right fit. And that's not because we're elitist or swanky. It's just to make sure that every member has skin in the game because first and foremost, the DC is a community of peers. So unfortunately, it's not for beginners, but that's why we built Dynamite Jobs. Head on over there if you're just getting started out. And if we feel your business wouldn't get a lot of value out of being a part of the DC, we'll let you know up front. So here's the thing. We just opened up our ticket sales for DCBKK, our longstanding, and I got to say, pretty awesome event at a five-star hotel in Bangkok, Thailand. So if you were thinking about joining the DC and want an excuse to hang out in Bangkok with over 300 amazing entrepreneurs, head on over to the application form at tropicalmba.com slash DC. To learn more because this will quite literally be a red carpet entry into the community. So what else is in it for you? We can place you in carefully matched online masterminds. You'll have access to free bespoke recruitment services via Dynamite Jobs. And you can seek and share advice in our private business forum. You'll also be able to buy tickets for our amazing aforementioned in-person events like DCBKK and in cities all around the world. But most of all, you'll be a part of people who really get the challenges that you're facing on a day-to-day basis. At our parties, you won't be facing very many confused looks about what it is you've decided to do with your life. So stop growing your business alone. If you're curious about the DC and about the types of people we're dedicated to pulling together, head on over to tropicalmba.com slash DC. What's aged the worst? A couple candidates to throw your way, Kyla. The MLM connection and the legacy of the 
business he built off of the back of this book. And the fact, as if it weren't bad enough that you started an MLM company, just want to cut in here to say that an MLM company stands for multi-level marketing, which honestly, I've never run into a multi-level marketing company that didn't smell bad. MLM companies are controversial because so many of them basically resemble pyramid schemes. Now, back to the show. You suggest MLM is a great way to learn sales skills in this book, which is the, like the big, can I just say boner moment of this book? <laughs> like, just like record scratch. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, of all the places you could learn sales skills. <laughs> And the fact that these MLM like business seminars, I don't care if they're board games or whatever, but it really contradicts the best part of the book, which is to say that like this legacy of going to wealth seminars on the weekends when you have like two spare moments from your nine to five and raising a family and everything is exactly what he ridicules in the book. He says, don't do that. Do not like work all week long for your boss and then sneak off to some seminar on the weekend. And now Robert Kiyosaki has become a very wealthy man creating said seminars. So I think this is aged really poorly. I had that in my aged poorly. And then I took it out because I decided it wasn't a good idea at the time either. So it hasn't <laughs> aged at all. Because <laughs> so it was a bad idea then and it's a bad idea now. My next thing that didn't age the worst is I think the fact that he doesn't talk much about real risk in the book. He's just sort of like, you know, go get it done. It's going to work out. I mean, he does talk a little bit about portfolio management, but um, I feel like the book would age a lot better if he was transparent about the fact that he went bankrupt. Like, in this book, it's like a little speed bump that he didn't slow down for. He's like, look, we can all accept that we're all going to go bankrupt every now and then. It just like flies right past. It's like, wait a second, dude. What are you talking about? I mean, that's real. That's very real. Like, as far as I know, Rich Dad didn't go bankrupt. You know, maybe Rich Dad had a fulfilling career as a professor and had a home and a family and all these things. And you know, Robert Kiyosaki went bankrupt and then depended on an MLM company to get rich. So. Which also then went bankrupt, by the way, in 2012. <laughs> How did the MLM company go bankrupt? Don't they have great margins? It was something about the like a royalties dispute. And then like the attorney general of Florida sued him for deceptive practices. And there was a huge settlement he couldn't pay. So Rich Global went bankrupt, but he still does it under, you know, a new corporation, which he says in the book, like, have a corporation so your personal assets aren't at risk, which he takes his own advice. So the other thing that's aged the worst for me, Kyla, is like he opens this book, like I said, from the top ropes with the suplexes. With the, I mean, he's just crushing the middle class and the poor. He's offering you this amazing parable. You're all in on this. And then he becomes a little bit like the blustery uncle on the third scotch, you know, just kind of like and then I hung out with my buddies and we did this deal. And then somewhere in the middle there, I got lost as to what we were talking about anymore, except his next deal. Yeah. So I feel like the book structure really breaks down where it could have been tighter. It could have been clearer because the ideas were good. But this, these vague uncle examples of all the great things that he's done, while of course reminding us constantly that he's not bragging, he's just pointing out some things that he's done, don't age particularly well for me. Yeah, I think the the whole the real estate stuff 
didn't do the books a lot of service. Because he says, you know, I really didn't want to write about this, but people always ask me for specific examples, so I have to put it in here. And then I think a lot of people latch on to that as one of the main things of the book is buy real estate to get rich. But he says several times, like, this is literally just an example. I'm not telling you to get into real estate. But then now he has all these real estate seminars. So I don't know. It hasn't aged well. Okay, so I have another one. <laughs> it's sort of weird because on the one hand, he's like, look, this is going to take forever to get financial literacy. You really got to learn about this stuff. He's like, I spend years jogging through a neighborhood and I just jog by it and I ask the mailman. You would be surprised what a mailman knows. So on the one hand, it's like learning about real estate has been like a lifelong pursuit for this guy. Yeah. On the other hand, the way he talks about deals is he's like, I read in the newspaper about a house, but I didn't buy it from the newspaper. I went down to the courthouse, two hours. Then I bought the house, two hours. Then I made 40 grand, two hours. Total of six hours. Divide 40 grand by six hours. Boom, making money's easy. And it's like, which, which direction are you going with this, man? Like, I felt like some of those examples were out of tune with the philosophy that he lays out at the beginning, which I do think is really great. I was confused because he says, towards the very end of the book, he has these few small paragraphs about why he wanted to be wealthy. And I feel like that could have been brought up a bit sooner. But it was like, you know, I, I want to leave generational wealth for my kids. I don't want to work all the time. I consider being wealthy when you're assets generate enough income to cover your expenses. And he said his goal was to do it by 40, but he didn't do it until 47. So I was like, does that mean you were literally working like full time learning, investing in real estate until you were 47? Because then that's not like passive income. I'm rich. That's working until you're 47. <laughs> There's a lot of vague things going on with Robert Kiyosaki's story. Yeah. So one thing that I did think aged poorly, this again has to do with the internet. He advises you not to start a company. And I have a quote from him here. He says, I don't encourage anyone to start a company unless they really want to. Knowing what I know about running a company, I wouldn't wish this task on anyone. And then he says, so only if you really have the desire to own your own company do I recommend it. Otherwise, keep your day job and mind your own business. So he even advises keeping your day job, being a middle-class slave over starting a company. So he really hates companies. But we know that Rich Dad owned a bunch of companies. He owned these hotels. He owned the grocery store the boys worked at. So I think today, like obviously this podcast is a testament to starting your own business. You can do it from a laptop. It's much easier than it once was. You can hire VAs. You don't need full-time employees. So I think just blanket don't try and start a company is advice that hasn't really held up. Wow. You just shot a dagger through the heart of the rich dad philosophy because this is where he's weak. It's so true. And I mean, we could take it from a bunch of different angles. I mean, one is his company failed. I mean, he tried to start a product company and it failed. We don't know the story. He doesn't tell that story in the book. He just presents it as one option or whatever. But you're right. I mean, I think that this is aged really poorly. That the idea that you're going to go out with limited capital and roll it up over the course of 10 years by banging out some real estate deals or whatever it is you're interested in is so much harder than starting a business. And it's, I think, realized in his own history, which is the way he made wealth was starting a business. And so, again, the reason that this doesn't get him into so much philosophical hot water is that he doesn't 
really provide these answers. At this point in the book, he's sort of just presenting his opinion. At the end of the book, he sort of leaves it all to you about how you want to go about getting financial literacy. Absolutely has aged poorly. Man, that was a great one. You know, I absolutely have to choose that as my winner for what's aged the worst. Don't start a business. That's insane, Robert Kiyosaki. (laughs) Picking nits. There's a famous graphic that a lot of people will be familiar with. It doesn't appear in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but it appears as sort of the fundamental image of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad universe, if that makes sense. So it's the cash flow quadrant. So there's four quadrants, four squares. And the one in the upper left would be E, you're an employee. Then below that, S for self-employed. Then if you go diagonal up to the other top, it's B for business owner. And then I for investor. And those are supposed to be the four quadrants you can fall into. And of course, Robert Kiyosaki likes B and I much better than E and S. And in some forms of this quadrant graphic, which is controversial, there's Robert Kiyosaki standing in the middle of the quadrant and the half of him that's on the side of like E and S. I don't know what he's wearing, but in my mind, it's like a backwards baseball cap and he's like got a skateboard and he has an L over his head for loser. And then in the B&I, I imagine him wearing like a suit and holding a sack of money. Or like with one of those golf caps with a little sort of poof on the top yeah. and a golf bag slung over his shoulder. It actually might be golf. Yeah. Because he loves, <laughs> he says when you become an investor, then you can spend all your free time golfing. High aspirations, Robert. What's your take on this cash flow quadrant? And it's been really influential. Yeah, I think... Okay, hold up a second. Yeah. Before you get all reasoned, I read a blog post from you a few months ago that's called Fuck the Quadrants. How about we start with that? Okay, so I I had like a a little Kindle business where I wrote books and then I published them on the internet and I got royalties from them. And at some point, I was going to all these business conferences and I was learning about Robert Kiyosaki and how do you become a business owner and work yourself out of the business so you have free time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hire writers, I'm going to automate it, and then it's just going to be a cash-generating machine, and then I can play golf all day. (laughs) Turns out, that's super hard. So it was a lot of work, and after a year, I was still just like losing money on it, and it was taking up all my time. I hated managing people. So I was like, you know what? Fuck the quadrants. (laughs) (laughs) I'm... I'm just going to go back to S. So I fired everybody. I just started writing the books again myself. I don't have any employees anymore. Like if I just want to take a week off, the week is off. And it's so much better. Yeah. And also I realized like if I did get to I, I wouldn't golf, obviously. I would write books. You'd S. I'd S. Yeah. I'd do what I was (laughs) doing anyway. And then I stopped doing it to become a business owner, which made me miserable. So... I mean, I think it's like, it's one way of looking at things that could be helpful for some people. But I think I was just looking at it as, oh, this is how you are an entrepreneur. And this is the right way to be an entrepreneur. And that didn't work for me. This book is incendiary because it's written under the presumption that you want to get rich, like that, that, that is the aim, you know, and part of what we talk about so much on this show is that 
what we're doing for a living can account for so many different aims at once that that would not necessarily be the one that you'd prioritize. The one thing investors and business owners and people that have done both have almost universally said to me over the years that making money with a business is easier than making money with money. Mm. And I don't know why Kiyosaki thinks it's the opposite way around, but finding a way to turn your $500,000 into $1.5 million or a lot of the examples in Rich Dad, Poor Dad are like much lower amounts of money than that, like taking $10,000 and saying, making 100 out of it. I mean, it's pretty easy for me to dream up ways to do that with a small business. It's relatively hard to figure out how to invest to get there. So this would be, you know, just a little nit to pick with the book, although I don't think it ultimately changes the core message of the book for me or really affects it all that much, honestly. Because it's sort of baked into the book that he's just telling you about him. He's just doing him at that point. He's sitting around with the bourbon and the big chair telling you the thing by the fireplace. But what I walked from the book was with those principles, with the key mindsets of financial literacy and what it's going to take if you do prioritize wealth building. Kyla, what is the idea that's most likely to make you money, make your life better, or be remembered 20 years from now. Oh, you know what? I missed one. Before we get to that, maybe your favorite quote from the book. My favorite quote was, money is one form of power, but what is more powerful is financial education. Money comes and goes, but if you have the education about how money works, you gain power over it and can begin building wealth. What are the secrets to money that people don't understand? He's very right that no one teaches you anything about money. Growing up, you don't get it in school. I don't think a lot of people get it at home. So you just have to figure out, like I remember when I was 18, picking up Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And that was like the first time I had, anyone had ever told me anything about money. So it's just knowing, do you think your house is a liability or an asset? Like, what side of that camp do you fall on? And then what can it do for you? Or do you want to save your money? Do you want to start a small business? Just exploring and learning about it is better than doing nothing. And a lot of people, myself included, often do nothing. You know, the idea that anyone in my family would have revealed to me how much money they make growing up. It would be a shocking overstep of moral bounds. This was just not the sort of thing that was done. And I think that that's part of what this book is so effective at, is taking a shot at that and basically saying, that is ridiculous. It is ridiculous that we don't value financial literacy in that way. And those are the sort of secrets that start to get revealed when you do start to talk about how much money you make and what priority it has in your life and what your game plan is. And that's essentially... For Kiyosaki, financial literacy. The best quote from the book for me is, it's not a great quote, but it's sort of just an idea that I walked from. And it's, if you realize that you're the problem, then you can change yourself, learn something and grow wiser. Don't blame other people for your problems. This quote was really situated in part of that little boy's parable at the beginning of the book. And it hit me because I just realized like this is just like rich and poor and just like haves and have-nots and just like winners and losers, there really is this really distinct divide between people who are willing to be curious about a problem and find out its source and take some responsibility for it 
versus people that are quick to draw the index finger and point the other way. And I really feel like that's some wisdom that can be taken from this book. I like that one too. All right, Kyla. So what idea do you feel would be most likely to make you money, make your life better, or be remembered by you 20 years from now? Well, 20 years from now, I hope I'm rich mom. (laughs) Not necessarily. Wait, which kind of rich mom? Now I'm confused. Actual rich mom? Well, just that, like we talked about with my best quote, I would like to make it a priority to teach my future children financial literacy. And like I do, you know, this like budgeting app where they have all these blog posts about the people who started it, how their kids are involved in like the budgeting app and the kids are like starting to understand money at a young age. So I think that's what I'll take away from this is that kids can learn that stuff at a young age and it's better than, you know, picking up or meet Sethi at 18. So I hope to make that part of my family life. I walked away with a personal challenge, which is minding my own business. A lot of employees martyr themselves to their jobs. In some ways, I've always martyred myself to my company, you know, and I haven't carved out enough time to focus on minding my own business. I really walked away from this book, you know, with that little mix of, ah, Robert, you're being smooth here. You're not giving me a path. But also, I feel really inspired to find one. I'm not going to go to the seminar. I'm not going to play cash flow quadrant, but I do believe that I will take the next step in financial literacy in my own journey. So that really affected me. And I thought this was well worth rereading personally. Finally, do you think this would have worked better in a different format? Which format did you uh, read Rich Dad Poor Dad in? I read it on Kindle. I thought this would have the distinction of being the only rereadable that you could also consume as a board game. So I did yesterday go on richdad.com and play the board game for an hour. Wow. I can't believe you waited until now to mention this. Surprisingly, there were other strangers on the internet also playing the Rich Dad board game that I played with. (laughs) It was kind of fun, but I don't know how much I learned. I learned that I'm really, I never got out of the rat race. (laughs) I went bankrupt a few times. I learned I'm really bad at identifying real estate and like stock offers. If the game had been like selling on Amazon, I feel like I would have done really well. So I don't know if it's super practical unless you maybe want to get into real estate flipping. I listened to this book on an audio book, which was really nice performance and well done, but I wouldn't recommend it because I think this is why I'm so fixated on the uncle lecturing you bit because towards the end, I just got lost in the soup of like all these different deals and things and oh, by the way, do this. And, you know, he'll have these like really succinct points and then he'll kind of go all around like, where are we even? Did he read it or was it someone else? No, it was a professional and it was good. But, you know, certainly for the first few chapters, it was fantastic. But I would have preferred to read the actual book so that I could skip through some of the uncle lectures. Otherwise, an enjoyable listen. A lot of smart people listen to this podcast. Should smart people go out and read this book? Or is this just like a cultural artifact? Is it a gimmick? Is it more interesting for its impact than it is for the actual experience of reading this book? I do feel like I got something out of it, rereading it. But maybe it was because I went into it having low expectations. Well, you played the game for an hour. so 
You're in the sales funnel. That's what's <laughs> happening. You're going to be doing trust falls at a business opportunity summit in two months. Right. That was also one of my notes for if it would work in another format. I said, instead of spending $500 on the seminar, you could literally buy all 30 of his books for that price. And I think you'd be better off. Is it rereadable? I think it was. I think we were, we were harsh, but I also think that was part of the fun of rereading it, was taking a critical eye to it. I agree. It's both sophisticated and unsophisticated in, in really dramatic ways. Like, it's unsophisticated in how it talks about how to generate wealth. It doesn't really talk about how to it. But it is sophisticated in, I think, critiquing middle class and poor mindsets about money and wealth. I think it's sophisticated in showing you how you can inhabit sort of a growth, wealth, rich mindset from day one. I do think it's sort of, it contains multitudes. You know, it's got a lot of things that are great about it and things that aren't so great about it. That was fun, as expected. Kyla, hope you'll come back and join us for a future Rereadables episode. Appreciate you coming. Of course, that was fun. Thanks. I see the shoreline. I see the white path. Hey, big thanks to Kyla for stopping by the show and sharing her thoughts on this week's rereadable, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Check out her writings and her upcoming book, Guru. You can find out everything about Kyla over at kylagardner.com, one of my favorite writers. And if you want to let us know your comment about this episode or check out all the links and show notes, we'll post them over at tropicalmba.com slash richdadpoordad. If you have any ideas for future rereadables, books that you feel are worth dusting off, pulling off the shelf, and revisiting for the quality or their ideas or for any other reason, let us know. Drop us a note in the comments or kick an email over to our producer. She's at jane at tropicalmba.com. So, I got to get back on the road. I'll see you guys next week, Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.